Well, good morning. Good to see all of you here. It's good to see some of you here and know that your children are there over on the other side of that wall. Um, you look so much more relaxed for some reason. It's, it's good. It's good. We appreciate our children's ministry, our student ministry, and what's going on there. Um, next week will be the final week that Charlie, our student minister, will be here on a Sunday. Okay, so be here in here the office the week after for a few days, working on transition, getting uh, people in place to be able to uh, continue our student ministry. But next Sunday after each of the services, somewhere out back, we're going to have just a tent set up just to have a, a little greet and reception for Charlie and Aaron. Um, so if you would this week, would you just take some time, uh, get a card, write a note, just share some of your appreciation for their ministry with us for a couple years here. And of course, Charlie grew up in this church and we love Charlie and they're headed to Las Vegas. They're leaving almost everything else here. Most of it's probably gone because one of Charlie's brothers went to UC this uh, last week and took most of their stuff from the apartment with them. So if you want to put something in that card, a gift card or some other encouragement, that would probably be appreciated by them as well. But we're just going to have a, um, a good send-off for them next week to let them know how much we love them, appreciate their ministry among us. So uh, take some time this week to put your thoughts down so that they can be encouraged by that. Now, when we first met Nehemiah last week, okay, we were introduced to a man who was driven to prayer because his heart had been broken, um, broken for God's people, broken for God's city that lie in ruins. Um, I ran across this quote from Abraham Lincoln this week who once said this. He said, I've been driven many times to my knees by the overwhelming conviction that I had nowhere else to go. My own wisdom and that of those about me seemed insufficient for the day. Okay? Can you relate to that? I can relate to that. Right? All of us have felt at times over our heads in whatever situation we're in. We felt inadequate in any given situation for life's challenges. And yet prayer is the advantage that we have as believers, because through prayer we connect um, our finite lives with an infinite God who is never short on resources for any given situation. Nehemiah sought God, and, and he came away with a plan, and you'll understand why I say that as, as it unfolds today. So turn to Nehemiah 2 in your Bibles, maybe on your Bible app, if you're at home on either of those. We'll put it on the screen as well here for you. But here we're going to see that Nehemiah sought God, and he sought God for two things. One, for a plan, and also for timing. Nehemiah chapter 2 is going to open by referencing the month of Nisan. Okay. Now, I don't know if that's how exactly how it's pronounced, but having driven an Ultima for a few years, I'm going to call it Nissan. All right? and, and most of you have no idea whether I pronounce them. You don't know that I have no idea sometimes whether I pronounce them right. So we're going into Nissan in chapter 2, and then in chapter 1, we're in the month of Kislev. Well, what we do know is that on the calendar, those are four months apart. Okay? It tells us that while Nehemiah was driven to prayer over exactly what to do, this news of, of Jerusalem's ongoing destruction, 
Uh, it was four months later before he actually had a conversation with his boss. We had a conversation with Artaxerxes with regard to the project that God had laid upon his heart. All right, so take a look with me at how it unfolds. And we're going to see that it's a beautiful thing when, when faith meets fruit. Okay, now I mentioned last week that I believe that God placed Nehemiah in his role with the king, as, as Mordecai said in the book of Esther, for such a time as this. Right? Nehemiah had been serving the king faithfully. Okay? He'd been loyal. He'd been trustworthy. And yet at the same time, he's also been serving God who is going to use his role to carry out God's plan for his people. Okay? Now that said, can you just um, think with me about this reality? Okay, because I think we need to clarify that. Like these kinds of God moments, they don't just appear magically. Okay, when God shows up in a way like he's going to show up, it doesn't just happen. God has been at work. Nehemiah has been in prayer. It's the fruit of a life that, that has both faith and faithfulness. Nehemiah, we read, he was God's servant and as such, he was available to be used by God in whatever way God chose. And look at how it plays out, beginning in chapter 2, verse 1. We read these words, In the month of Nisan, in the twentieth year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before. Now that'll set up what's just about to happen, but think about this. I mean, Nehemiah's heart is broken. And he obviously felt in chapter 1 compelled to do something about it. He even said in chapter 1, you know, as a, the, like, I, I know I have to have a conversation with the king, with my boss. I know I've got to do something about this. But to do something about this, I have to go through this person who just happens to be the king of the most powerful nation on earth at the time. Right? He's been sitting with all of that. And yet here he was... He'd never been sad. Now, realize that court etiquette at this time was you were always to be happy around the king. Okay? It, it just conveyed that you were so glad to be able to work for such a good ruler and such a great person and so wise and all of those kind of things that would feed that king and his ego. That's how you were supposed to behave. But how do you do that when your heart is broken? How do you do that when you feel the weight of this project that God is placing on you? Well, Nehemiah did do it, and he did it for four months. But strategically, it was his sadness that becomes his point of entry for this conversation in verse 2. So the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you're not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. Nehemiah's commentary, I was very much afraid. Some of your versions read, I was dreadfully afraid. Okay, well, you understand that. Knowing he was about to make this unusual request, he was no doubt incredibly nervous. Like Esther before him, if you go in the king's presence and you make a request that doesn't please the king, not only will you lose your job, you'll also lose your life. So the stakes were high for him. And it says in verse 3, But I said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad 
when the cities where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire. Now, I think it's interesting that he doesn't mention Judah and he doesn't mention Jerusalem, that he doesn't mention the walls of the city. He doesn't even mention religion. He doesn't even mention the project at this point, but he put it in terms that a, a Persian king would understand. The city where my ancestors are buried, where my heart is, it lies in ruins. Well, he connected with Artaxerxes who said to him in verse 4, what is it you want? And then notice all this, all this commentary through here. He said, then I prayed to the God of heaven. <laughs> Okay? And it reminds us, like, even these giants of the faith, these great characters in the scriptures, they're like us, right? Now, you said quick prayers, right? I mean, think rearview mirror, lights on top of a squad car kind of a prayer. Okay? Think, like, I have to go in and take this test, and I may or may not be prepared, but, like, whatever happens in this test um, has real implications on my life kind of prayer. Nehemiah is about to go in this, he's about to lay it on the king, and, um, and he's nervous. But remember, like he'd been praying for four months for guidance. He'd been praying for four months for direction. He'd been seeking God about uh, what do I do and how do I do it, and yet here it is unfolding as he speaks, and, and the stress is high. And it says in verse 5, and I answered the king, if it pleases the king, and it's your, if your servant has found favor in your sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I could rebuild it. Obviously personal to him, but, he, but you notice the respect. If it pleases the king. Earlier he said, long live the king. Then in verse 6, the king with the queen sitting beside him asked me, well, how long will your journey take? And when will you get back? And it pleased the king to send me, send me, so I set a time. Okay? Note, like his prayers were answered, right? His plans were honored. But Nehemiah had thought through a lot more things to make this happen. It wasn't just, I need to go back and do something. Like he'd had four months to pray. He'd had four months to think through what's going to be necessary. And I love how Nehemiah um, seizes the moment right? And says, oh yeah. <laughs> and he says, look at what he says there in verse 7. I also said to him, if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe contact, conduct until I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal park, so he'll give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall. And for the residence I will occupy. And because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my request. Safe passage. He would need that. Protection from enemies. He would need that. Materials to build. He would need that. God honored the diligent planning of Nehemiah. And so in verse 9, I went to the governors of the trans-Euphrates and gave them the king's letters. The king had also sent army officers and cavalry with me. When Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about this, they were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. Now we're going to meet these two characters a number of times in this book. So I'm just going to set them aside for later. But the enemies knew what was going on is the point here. So Nehemiah, 
back up just a bit. Nehemiah, in a prominent position in service to the king, in the greatest and wealthiest nation of his day, because he was a servant of God and willing to risk his life and forsake it all, he obeys God's call. And I think it's a great example uh, of what I mean when I talk about people putting their life into play, right? Or people who are willing to sacrifice something personally to honor God. And listen, I, I've, I've watched it happen in this church over the years many times. I've watched people pass up opportunities for advancement because the priorities of the kingdom or the priorities God gave them for their family or the priorities of ministry were of a higher value to them than their career advancement at a certain time. I've watched people um, forsake leisure and additional comforts to support this church. I've watched people that give in ways that cost them significantly. I've watched them sacrifice for other people and serve in ways that um, they just such, reflect such self-abandonment that Jesus is Lord of their life and he's Lord of their leisure and he's Lord of their job and he's Lord of their finances and all of those different things. And, and, and I can tell you that to me it's no coincidence that the people I have watched sacrifice in these ways are often the people that I have watched produce the most fruit for God's kingdom from their lives, which is reflective of the sacrifices that they have made. And it's just good to stop and ask ourselves like a broader question sometimes. Like, have you made Jesus not only Lord of your life, but have you made him Lord of your job? Have you made him Lord of all of the different areas of your life? See, faith bears fruit because we allow God to use us in ways that we cannot be used in our lives alone. In our jobs, in our community, and in our homes. So Nehemiah goes to Jerusalem, but initially he tells no one in the city about his plans, nor his vision, and spend, instead he spends some time assessing the project. Now, I love personally, because I'm wired in a certain way, that Nehemiah... Um, is both a man that exercises faith and he exercises planning. Some people see those things as mutually exclusive. I don't think they are. Uh, faith definitely invites God to have his way in our endeavors, or more appropriately, faith is what allows God to invite us <laughs> into his endeavors. Well, planning, I think, exercises the wisdom um, and the knowledge that God has given us to actually accomplish those endeavors. I think there's a beautiful harmony that happens when faith and planning coexist together, realizing we can't plan and prepare for everything, so we have faith, but God has given us abilities and things around us to see and know what's going on, so we've got to engage on our part. Look at verse 11. He says, I went to Jerusalem, and after staying there three days, I set out during the night with 
a few others. I had not told anyone my God, anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except the one I was riding on. By night I went out through the valley gate toward the jackal well and the dung gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down, and its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. Then I moved on toward the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was not enough room for my mount to get through. So I went up through so I went up the valley by night, examining the wall. Finally, I turned back and re-entered through the valley gate. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, because as of yet, I said nothing to the Jews or the priests or the nobles or officials or any others who would be willing to do the work. Okay? So we see Nehemiah... Like he, he wanted to see for himself what needed to be done. He didn't go around the whole city, probably just the southern portion of it, but enough to see what a mess that it was. Which areas needed the most attention? How bad were the walls that had been destroyed? But he also knew that his enemies were watching. Okay? And no doubt his enemies had their own people inside Jerusalem that were watching everything that was going on, so he went at night. Now the people, as Nehemiah said, they didn't know any of his plans, but remember those letters that Artaxerxes sent that he delivered? All of his enemies knew what was going on, so he goes at night, and he surveys the work to be done, and then when he's ready, he shares with the people his vision, and he shares his passion, and he shares his faith. Now, I love it when people bring solutions to the table and not just problems, right? I love it when people um, are willing to offer themselves as a part of what's going on as opposed to, you know, send a note or an email or a phone call or even a face-to-face -face conversation that says, hey, you need to do this. <laughs> hey, you need to fix this. Hey, you need to solve this. All of that kind of stuff. Nehemiah, like he'd sacrifice for this to happen. Nehemiah uh, and his leadership are going to be used by God to do something incredible. Look at how it begins at, there in verse 17. Then I said to them, so he's got, I don't know how much of the nation before him. Uh, maybe it's just the leaders we don't really know at this point. He said, then I said to them, you see the trouble we're in? Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come let us, notice the words, the pronouns he's using, right? He's with them in this. He's not just over them. He's a part of the answers. He said, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. Okay, so you think about this motivational speech that he's giving to rally the troops. Motivation number one is we're no longer going to be laughed at. We're no longer going to be taken advantage of. We're no longer going to be looked at with disdain, and neither is our God. He goes on. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. Okay? Incentive number two. Like, we're going to do this because God is behind this. I mean, even the king is supportive of this. Now, again, think back to Ezra. When we looked at Ezra, and remember that section we skipped at chapter 4? Before the wall was rebuilt, when Artaxerxes had got a letter from all of the enemies of Israel that said, hey, don't let these, these people want to rebuild this wall. Remember these people? They're the ones that, that used to fight us and they used to win and they used to rule over us. And this, this city has a history of rebellion, so you don't want to let them build. And Artaxerxes said, enough is enough, no more building. But here, God uses the life of his servant, Nehemiah. 
And here Artaxerxes has given the go-ahead and the people had to notice the change in heart of the king who was over them. God's behind this. Um, the king is supportive. And I think we don't have all of the words, I don't think, because I think this is where Nehemiah inserts his testimony into the whole equation and trace God's hand for the, for the people. And they replied, there at the end of verse 18, let us start rebuilding. So the work began. But when Sanballat, the Horonite, and Tobiah, the Ammonite official, and Geshem, the Arab, heard about it, they mocked and ridiculed us. What is this you're doing, they asked. Are you rebelling against the king? Remember that earlier letter? And Nehemiah himself answers them, saying, the God of heaven will give us success. We are his servants. And we will start rebuilding. But as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or historic right to that. Okay? Let's think about Nehemiah as a leader for just a moment. We'll, we'll revisit him in this role multiple times as we go. But as he's sharing his vision, as he's sharing his passion, as he's sharing his faith, as he's calling people to this project, um, like it's just it's noteworthy. Listen, no matter where you plant your political flag these days, okay, um, the leadership in our nation is, a, is in a sad state of affairs. Uh, there's a lack of integrity and a lack of high moral standards throughout in so many different ways. Once they were there, once that bred trust, imagine what the outcome would be. Like if our leaders from the, the smallest of roles as an elected official to the greatest, from our ministers that preach the word of God to our executives that run these corporations, like if they only spent some time alone with God, if they would only set their compass like their true north of their moral compass, set it to God's standards and seek his solutions and his guidance for their tasks and their responsibilities. So, so earlier we realized that, that Nehemiah waited for the right time to approach the king. Right, Four months had taken place. Now, after preparing himself and after preparing his plan, after getting his feet on the ground there locally, after looking at what needed to happen, at just the right time he's going to lay out his vision and the project that God had commissioned him to lead. Like it's worth noting in our, in our lives, I think it's worth noting in our church, that we could learn a lesson from Nehemiah to not just seek God for the what of his plans, but also to seek God for the when of his plans. Timing is a part of what God uses to move his purposes forward at just the right time, I think, Nehemiah talked to King Artaxerxes. At just the right time, he laid out his vision for the people. And again, do you notice the words he used, he, the pronouns? He said, we. And he said, us. And he said, we. And, and, and Nehemiah is motivating people toward a task. He's identifying himself with their situation. Think about if he had come in a different way. Think about if he had been a leader who just came and said, you all sure got yourself in a mess. <laughs> Your city is a disaster. You need to get busy, and you need to rebuild that wall, and if you need me, I'll be in my office. <laughs> you 
Can you imagine them saying something like, hey, Nehemiah, why don't you go back to Susa? We don't need another politician around here. We got enough of those. But not Nehemiah. Like he didn't do that. He was in the middle of it all. These were his people. And he was God's servant. And can you imagine, like that part that, that, that I placed, I think, in, in the verses that, that aren't there, so it's not biblical, but I think it had to be part of this motivational um, rallying speech that Nehemiah gave. Can you imagine being there? <clears throat> what it have been like to hear Nehemiah's story? Like the risks that he took, the way God showed up, his testimony uh, of what God had done up to this moment. His story not only conveyed his, his compelling vision, but it also, like it, it displayed his deep passion and also, I think, his magnetic faith. They would have seen the risks that he took. They would have known the months that he prayed before God set up that interaction. They would have seen the, the personal sacrifice that he'd gone through to get to this point. And, and the people were motivated. They said, let us do this. Let us rebuild. And they responded with enthusiasm. And they're going to help Nehemiah. They're going to join him in rebuilding the walls of the city and restore the honor that everyone felt was due to God himself. It wasn't just Nehemiah's vision anymore. It was God's vision. And they were ready to join God and be a part of what he was doing. Okay? Now, I, I hope that that thought, the thought of Nehemiah sharing his testimony, of him sharing his story, like I hope that for you it motivates you, like the power of our testimony, and, and maybe more importantly, the power of your testimony. It's important to tell others about the blessings and about the faithfulness of God in our lives. Like it's good for us. It's good for us because it helps us to recognize that God is at work and what he's done and the fact that he has been there all along when we look back. He's been there through the struggles and the difficult times as well as the victories and the joys and encourages other people to look for God at work in their life at any given time and to lean into God, to get them through the dark times just like he's gotten you through the dark times and they know that because you've told them your story and how God has worked in your life. And I think it's also used as it is in this case in the text testimonies are used by God to draw people together toward a vision when he chooses someone to lead a new endeavor for his kingdom now we read twice in this chapter and if I remember right three times in the first chapter some words to this effect that we read in verse 8 where he says and because the gracious hand of my God was on me okay? now Nehemiah's passion and his vision, they're about to make a huge difference for this nation, okay? And, and ours can too when God's hand is guiding and blessing our efforts. It's good to note when God has his hand on us in ways. I like how Oswald Chambers put it when he wrote these words. He said, a saint's life is in the hands of God as a bow and arrow in the hands of an archer. He said, God is aiming at something that the saint cannot see. Boy, isn't that true? 
He, he's got us going somewhere and we don't know where it is a lot of times. But we trust the one who's leading us. He says that um, a saint's life is in the hands of God as a bow and arrow is in the hand, are in the hands of the archer. God is aiming at something the saint cannot see. He stretches and strains. And every now and again, the saint says, I can't stand anymore. We can relate to that, right? But God does not heed. He goes on stretching until his purpose and his insight. And at just the right time, he lets it fly. God is preparing you for something. He's preparing us for something. And sometimes it gets awful uncomfortable when he stretches us out of our comfort zone, when he calls us to do something we've never done before, when he calls us to, to be someone we've never grown into being before, when he calls us to sacrifice something that we've never sacrificed before. And yet because we trust the hand that is creating the tension, because we trust the eye that sees things that we can't see, because we trust the heart of a God who loves us and wants good things for our lives and for his kingdom and for us to be part of that. We hold still <laughs> until just his right timing. God has a plan for your life. I believe that with all my being. Stick with him. Listen to him. Be faithful to him long enough for him to let it fly and let that plan go. Like follow what you know about him even when you don't know everything. Even when you can't see where you're going. He can see where he's leading you and where he's going to take you. And when he's ready, he's going to engage your life for his greatest purposes. And I guarantee you that his greatest purposes will bring to you your greatest purposes blessings but it won't happen unless we're faithful it won't happen unless we're obedient it won't happen unless we you know as the sacrifices if we keep crawling off the altar how's God going to use us if we keep saying I can't take it anymore how's God going to use us trust his hand trust his heart trust his vision and see what only he can do when we let him do it. And listen, if, you, if, you, if he's not your father, or if you're not in relationship with him, then you understand what Jesus said in John chapter 15. Jesus said, I am the vine and you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You can give, you can sacrifice, you can live but if you're not doing it connected to God, it's going to bear no eternal fruit. If you're not connected to him, I'd love to talk to you today about being connected with him, about laying down your life, about taking up his life, about burying yourself in those beautiful waters of baptism where God can say you're free and you're forgiven and you're clean and I have a plan for your life. can trust him let's pray together father you uh, do amazing work and lord i suppose most of us have been able to see that in our lives um, it's just sometimes we get to see it
uh, in other people's lives and lose track of it in our own. We, we lose sight of what you're doing. Uh, it becomes uncomfortable or painful or difficult or even stagnant during the waiting. And yet, Lord, we want to do great things and be part of great things that you're doing. So, Lord, give us patience. Give us trust. Give us a vision for your work in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.